that's very different than classic venture investing and is a speculative liquid asset way before it should be. It, it does create a very morally hazardous situation. Yeah, it creates a moral hazard. Extreme moral hazard. I, I don't get it. Like, where do you get the 20% from? It's based in the long term. It won't be just one single winner. The exponential effect of yeah. that is about to be realized. Yeah, you have sexy. to look for big markets. Yeah. Depends yeah. what you start, right. You say right? it's sexy because the market's yeah, big, right? The market's yeah. big, it's sexy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you we have two of our venture investors <laughs> on this table. So yeah. just want to make sure. Yeah. There's this tension between the retail investors and the VCs, right? The sort of, oh, the VCs are dumping on us and all this. Did Which you... is fair, because that's normally yeah. how it is. Space Monkeys blasting off on venture capital. We have Mark Cascia from Cytel Ventures. We have James Wu from DFG. Rich Shorten from Silver Mine and Lucky Friday. And Yoon Kim, the CFO from Sumi. Here to talk about an oft misunderstood part of the equation. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Just to start, I think it would be good to kind of uh, define what venture capital is. So, uh, me, I, I have capital. And I have uh, ventured it forth into various aspects of the, the crypto uh, space. Am I a venture capitalist? Venture capital is early stage investing, simple as that, right? I think in, in truth, all of the people involved in this ecosystem early are to some extent venture capitalists because they're taking very early stage risks in companies and they're, they're deploying their capital in support of, you know, in support of something that is, has not yet matured. Right. In the case mm. you know, of, of traditional venture capitalists and firms that operate in the space, what you're doing is you're doing a little bit of entrepreneurship and a little bit of you know, capital deployment. Right? So if you think about a complete enterprise and, a, and what's required for a company's success, capital is one element to that equation. A management team is required, marketing is required, technology is required. In order to really build an enterprise, you need all of those disciplines. And venture capital brings in the money side and hopefully can support the other elements too. And that's yeah. the, uh, As a business school, my professor used to use this statistic, right? Venture investing. And this is a, at Stanford, so big on venture thing out there. 10 investments, eight, you'll lose money. Number nine, maybe you break even, maybe. One, you make money. You better make a lot of money in the number 10 because you lost money or you know, broke even in the first nine, right? right. So that's to me venture investing. Ah. That's all it is. Beautiful. Early stage investing on, on, a, on an idea, really. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the funny thing is, there's different levels of interest investing also, right? At different rounds, different risk reward, that's it, right? Right. And you're taking high risk, and so you better get high rewards if you get it correct. That's what venture investing is. Beautiful. I think the point for us to exist is to kind of make the capital more efficient. Because okay. uh, just imagine what VC is doing, what you know, also hedge fund PE is doing is probably giving the money to the smartest people, right? Which can generate return for 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 us. So that that's our work. So the best VCs, best hedge fund get higher return. They get more money into our hedge fund, which means that we are supporting the right player, right? Creating the value for us. So we are giving the money to the right people. Mm -hmm. So that's the that's the reason why VC and other you know. Uh, and also hedge fund exists is to make the capital more efficient. So that's why 
we're going to you know, kind of help like define which is the you know which is a good project, which is not. It proves like we are if we are wrong, we are giving the money to the right player. So make the capital more efficient is the ultimate goal for for venture capital. Right, and I feel like getting in at this stage, it's a little bit more hands-on than like somebody buying on the stock market or something like that. Mark, I know that you guys at Sitel are pretty hands-on. Um, yeah. What's that? What's that experience like? It's very fulfilling. It's very mm. challenging. It's very different than classic venture investing, uh -huh. and it's even kind of a hack of the system or a short circuit because there's a liquid asset way before there should be, right? Should be. And there's a speculative <laughs> liquid asset. Yeah way before it should be. And, uh, and so that's, you know, it was really, really lucrative to be a venture investor in previous years. Many venture investors were not thinking about, okay, this is a business I'm gonna be in for five years and for 10 years. So, oh, this is a team, they're a really good team. They're gonna uh, ICO a token and that token's gonna pump and I'm gonna have my exit liquidity. Right, right. We didn't do it that way. We didn't mean to do it that way. Yeah. Maybe we partially participated in that when there's a crazy, when valuations are completely crazy on the high side, it's irresponsible not to, not to sell into it. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Like, you know, I mean, as a fiduciary, you have that obligation, right, when those are happening. But the truth is not only that a lot of those companies, they shouldn't have had you know, public public well, tokens. Or I don't public know trade. if they should or shouldn't. They did. They did. But they never would if it in was a, yeah, an in a normal environment. Right, right, in right, a normal yeah. environment, they never would have. And and I think that that attracted a universe of investor stakeholders mm -hmm. that really aren't venture investors in the classical sense. Mm -hmm. It attracted many investors that are much similar to hedge funds and rapid trades. And, and because they could get a quick turn on their capital, they got involved and called themselves venture funds, but they didn't bring any of the disciplines or experience set that is necessary to withstand a long bear market, is necessary to actually nurture companies across stages of life cycle. And sometimes they did great and they won, but many times they just didn't have the toolkit to, to operate with earlier stage companies. In traditional venture investing, the past liquidity usually takes literally like eight to 10 years, right? Unless your company gets taken out. It's really hard to analyze on a fundamental level any projects or companies that has a light, you know, that's been around for one year, right? They have no revenue really. Yeah. And yet they're getting these massive market, at one point they're getting this massive market capitalization with liquid tokens. And I think that creates a very, it, it does create a very, uh, what's the term, uh, morally hazardous situation. Yeah, it creates moral hazards. Yeah, moral hazards, yeah. extreme moral hazards. And, and it attracts a lot of bad players also, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're playing this game with all these bad actors, right? Yeah, 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 so yeah. <laughs> and getting laughed at by them when they're <laughs> making all this money in, in Terra. <laughs> so you have, I don't get it, like, where do you get the 20% from? Uh, and yeah. you're investing in that, that crap, and that's gonna take years for people to use it. Uh, uh, right. And they probably sold on the top anyway, or, or yeah. sold a lot, and, and then who's right? Huh. I don't and know, this, but. You know, in this liquidity, you know, in, in, the, in the world of investing, liquidity is like, you know, number one, two, and three in many investors' lists of priorities in, in terms of their investment, right? But here, in these early stage tokens, often the liquidity creates a real problem. It creates a real problem as, the, as they go through sort of the phase that you see many projects in today where they're not yet mature, they now have depressed token values, they had a large universe of holders that you know, sold, there's limited liquidity in the market, and the, the, 
you don't have the same types of mechanics available to you as a project project team to be able to raise more capital or move on. And by the way, mm. <clears throat> some other team over here, you know, could just vampire attack your chain and everything's open source and now all of a sudden it's gone, you know, everything you've built for a while. Wow. So the dynamics associated with preserving, you know, your value creation is perilous as a project team, as, as everyone here, and, you know, as, as all the teams here know, but the same goes as an investor. I mean, you know, as an investor, you're not even in control of that outcome. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're a sidecar in that project, right? So right. It's, it, there's there's a lot of moving parts that can happen and change very quickly. Maybe though, we could talk about some past successes, even if it's pre-crypto. Do we have any winners? Uh, like, what was the first winner where we thought, all right, I'm a I'm a VC. The, the success that I realized that really formed why I'm in Web3, I have the exact same feeling today as I had in 2000. I came out of the telecom world and sort of the early deregulation of telecom infrastructure in, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. That's where uh -huh. I cut my chops as the equivalent of like a young project lead. Yeah. And in 2000, the world fell apart in telecom and infrastructure and every company went bankrupt. And I knew in every bone of my body that there was value in these fiber networks and in this infrastructure was being built, notwithstanding that everything was bankrupt and everyone was running away from it. Oh. And I ran into the fire in 2000 to 2002 into that formative stage of internet and telecom infrastructure and became much more important than I should have been because I was just like the young guy who was actually standing there and everyone, everyone who was respectable ran away right uh -huh. from, from the sector. And it turned out to be 100% right. It turned out that you know, the, the, the growth in bandwidth and internet, you know, everything changed dramatically over the next five years. And companies that I got involved in, one of the, one of the best examples, a company that we took out of bankruptcy at like a $70 million valuation out of bankruptcy, we sold for more than $2 billion you know, eight years later. Right now, obviously, there's a large ecosystem of players involved in that transaction, but you have to be really convicted about something and its ultimate value when everyone around you and those in that era, everyone was telling me there's a fiber glut. Why do we need fiber? Fiber is useless. Uh, Who needs fiber? That was the big story. Yeah. It's exactly the same narrative as you hear today about crypto. What's it for? What's it going to do? Yeah. What's its utility? Mm. Right? Isn't it all a scam? Mm. Same exact feeling, exact same feeling in my bones. And that's why, that's why I'm excited about Web3. Beautiful. For the record, um, yes. I've been a venture investor. I've been a public equity investor. Right now, as a SUMI CFO, I seek venture capital. Yeah. I don't yeah. allocate venture capital. Yeah. Uh, my most successful investment is when I, like first, second year to my first hedge fund job, about 20 years ago, I was a public investment, Apple. When Apple was a $16 billion market cap, which is, sounds ridiculous now, yeah. uh, I missed the the second trillion, but uh, this is when they had a product called iPod. It was iPod 3. Yeah. It's been out for three years and no one's buying it. Mm. And I convinced my boss back then to, uh, at the risk of my job, to buy this thing. And it did so well. My former boss back then still owns the biggest house underwater in Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> uh, in terms of venture investing, I guess since we're at Polkadot Dakota, um, I guess it is venture investing, is my investment in Polkadot in 2017. Kind of like, I'm sure they had like pre-sale, but they're uh, yes. pre-offering, ICO. Yeah, yeah they're still private sale. How did you get involved in that? I started getting involved in crypto last summer, yeah. and then I talked to some people who knew people at Parity. So I got the white paper, and I come from a very Web2 background. That's how I built my career, kind of like your telecom. And, and to me, maybe because it was from Web3 Foundation, the Web2 to Web3 logic made a lot of sense to me. Nice. And I kind of lived through, even the 
people forget, you know, although I do worry about future blockchain, in late 90s, even up to late 90s, there's a lot of debate whether Web 2, what's known as Web 2, actually will create any kind of sustainable coming value, right? Yeah. Because the biggest app, and it's a great app, uh, uh, to Web 2 was, was email. And until Google started data mining this, no one was making, making money on email. And that was the most successful app mm. in history, right? Mm. So people are like, uh, and you know, and Amazon went public in 1997. People forget that, right? So early, it's been around for a few years. Right. They're selling books, and I was using it because I, I like, I like. It was, it was actually a great idea, you know, selling book, infinite book choices. Uh, but it wasn't like you know, people were loving it, right? So people are like, ah, what's this good for? <clears throat> so like, Amazon didn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Initially. Yeah. So uh, it is reminiscent, but yeah, I guess I mean. It was a lot more successful a year ago, but uh, Polkadot's up there. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It goes without saying that you know we're venture investors, we're asset managers, and we need to be make profitable investments. But something that's really and truly successful is something that achieves usage. It achieves adoption, and and that will always drive value anyway. Something that people need to use or don't even know that they're using uh, under the hood. So that for me will be a really successful investment. And maybe we won't make like a crazy amount of money on it. For me, okay, that's okay. okay. I, I really am in it for, you know, the journey. And okay, like fighting through the adversity, even though it's not fun, I have gray hair now uh, because of it. But to really be part of it, and, and that's the, for me what a venture investor is, right? To be early, to work with the team, and, and to really be active with them on a person-to-person, -person, on a personal basis, rather than as you get later stage investing, you know, if you're a public equity investor, maybe you attend the quarterly meeting, maybe they have to put like IR on the phone with you if you're a big enough investor, uh, but otherwise you don't have any interaction with, uh, with the company. Right. And with the management team. Can you drill down a bit into specifically what it is about Polkadot that gave you this sense that this could actually have an impact on the world and people who use it? It was lucky uh, for me the way I got started. So the, like, the guy that I co-founded it with uh, was a friend of Gavin, and Gavin co-founded his company called Grid Singularity, Ed Hesse. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but if you haven't, no, you definitely but, uh, should. I, I keep asking. Um, he says six months, six months. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. that six months will come around in six uh -huh. months, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so we were also investors in the private sale of, of Polkadot. And he was really building from first principles, mm -hmm. informed by the Ethereum experience. And, and so this is, so others are also informed by the Ethereum uh, experience, but not the way Gavin was. Right? Yeah. So he saw what worked, and he saw what really didn't work, and, and he baked that in, like, to the fixes for that into Polkadot from the beginning. And what he'll always say is, like, it, it takes a really long time to build good, complex tech. Mm -hmm. And we're only seeing the fruits of that now as it's actually just becoming, like, wide-scale usable. Yeah. It's better to be in a smaller ecosystem where you can make a difference with $250,000 checks. Like they, they, they make a difference in this ecosystem, right? They, they, you know, 
uh, you know, James and Mark are obviously investing sort of at the at the, the the larger, the the later stages and the larger things. But but often it's hard, right? I, I imagine it's sometimes hard to find places to deploy large amounts of capital into these smaller ecosystems because they're not just not grown up enough way in many cases. Many of the companies aren't. So being a relevant frog in a smaller pond was an important part of the thesis. Yeah, yeah. You know, for us getting involved here, you know, that plus interoperability and the other elements. I, th I think also in the in the right place is also important. I think what Polkadot deliver is really a great vision in the crypto space, because uh, you know not other people, you know, uh, can have the ability to building a, a, a layer one chain, right? But but they have you know good or unique angles which you know can support them building that, but they don't have the technology about building it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go outside and just simply copy the code of Ethereum and then building that, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So what you know Polkadot and potentially Cosmos as well offer is it is a is a tech framework to you like Substrate and Tandeming offer tech framework for you for you to build a you know, layer one chance much easier than you expected, then you can do whatever you want to build your ecosystem on top of that, right? So I think that, that is actually a, a step forward and a, a, a great progress in, 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 the, in the crypto space. And since we all probably agree that, you know, in the crypto space in the long term, it won't be just one single winner. It, be, it will be multi-chain coexist together. So you need eventually the cross-chain solutions to some certain degree, right? right. Uh, we have all the bridge uh, being hacked during the last ball run, it almost proved the business model of the bridge didn't work, mm -hmm. right? So, it, you know, instead of doing that, we need to have more, eventually we need to have more like a new solution to solve the problem, right? So Polkadot is potentially one, you know, one potential solution for that. So I think that's that's the beauty of, 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 of Polkadot, but we still need to, you know, do a lot of work to make it better. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you guys get any flack from your friends who aren't invested in Polkadot and don't understand what's going on? Like, what's the what's the temperature and the vibe about Polkadot for people outside? From friends, all the yeah. time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a very good friend. He, uh, we grew up in the hedge fund space together. So I'm not going to mention his name, but he's uh, he basically heads one of the big layer ones out there. He, obviously, he's not as convinced as I am about the future of Polkadot. So I think I think sure. sometimes he kind of tolerates my opinion about Polkadot. But, <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, but you know, much as I I have respect for him, I'm not sure his projects doing any any much better either. So right, yeah, right. Very you know, I think there's a lot of this is vantage point, right? So so we work with some people who are traders. Their 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 mentality is a trader. They are traders, and for a trader. Polkadot is not yet a great ecosystem to be involved in. It's just yeah. not yet relevant, right? right? So it makes complete sense for them to say, well, like, when is this going to become relevant to me? But what I will say is they're paying attention. Like they listen to the, you know, to the articulation of the vision. They understand that technology has long-term impact and they have a placeholder there, you know, and a placeholder in their conversations with us. You know, when it when you mature to our phase and you know, maybe when somebody that then maybe it's relevant for us, right? Until then we'll watch. But you know, as a trader, I wouldn't be involved in Polkadot if that's if that's what I did for a living. Sure. What, you know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I see a lot of friends uh, of mine, like either in VC space, uh, developers, whatever. Uh, they have different kind of feelings about Polkadot. For example, you know, the the substrate, you know, the tech framework. It, it's really, I mean, probably the most unfriendly ones to compare to other layer one protocols to the developers, right? Mm. So the learning curve is very steep. You know, it's 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 really hard to mm. kind of like, uh, 
you know, using you, you, uh, you, software, right? So actually, you know, but the, but the point is once you use it, then, then, then it works very well, yeah. right? So actually, you know, the, uh, the, the, the barrier for, 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 for the developer to move into the Polkadot space is, is relatively high. So that's, that's actually one problem I noticed, which probably potentially need, need, need to be solved in the, pro, in the future, then more developers can come into place. I mean, Rust is already hard, right? So, but it's the case. But at least there's something we can we can do better to to kind of improve this, right? Cosmos, right. I think Cosmos is probably the most uh, most friendly one. Mm. Uh, Solana is not good, but Polkadot is the hardest, right? So th- mm. this is one thing. The other thing is about uh, about like uh, the, the capital side. I, I think you know because the ecosystem, you know, in, in 2020, 2019, the ecosystem grew pretty well. There are a lot of new. Uh, Good quality projects, especially for the first few Polkadot projects, are really high quality compared to other ecosystems. Yeah. I'm not saying Ethereum, Ethereum is also very high quality, but if you take a look at the other layer one ecosystem, I mean, Polkadot project is much more good than this kind of project. I think that, that is good things, but I think the momentum start to uh, lose track a little bit in the recent years, but we was, we, we, I think this could be improved. It's like a more good quality project moving into the Polkadot space, working with Website Foundation or Parity together, then we will, with this kind of good quality project, then we can attract more VCs or capital to move into the space to invest into them. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Very often it's like when people, you know, I tell them I'm Polkadot-centric investor, like, Polkadot's dead. I've, I've heard that, and I'm like, and then I feel like I'm the, the guy in the meme, where it's like, they don't know, and is it the ones dancing, yeah. <laughs> and they don't know what Polkadot really is. Like, oh, the crowd loans, yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah. not a good yeah. system, oh, the inflation's too high, oh, whatever thing about Polkadot they don't like, and they don't know what it is. They don't know it's by designed governable, upgradable, and changeable. And just like Gav revealed yesterday, well, maybe this is a path forward to open up block space, to make block space on demand. Mm -hmm. And that's important fundamental change of the way to access block space on Polkadot. Polkadot's not an an ecosystem for the casual developer or the casual investor. Yeah, and and even the the other, they, they just have a frame that this is the protocol, that's how it works, and now you can't change it because you can't change the other ones, yeah. right? Yeah, okay, yeah. now Cosmos. Cosmos is great. I, I meet a lot of people that love to develop on Cosmos. Cosmos needs shared security. Uh, but they can't have it the way Polkadot has, like, true shared security. They have, like, replicated security. Is that this not <clears throat> the same? Yeah. When you point to investor friends that challenge Polkadot, you know, one of One of the things that I cling to that I point to a lot is we've learned over the past 15 years how powerful network effects are to value creation, right? That's a generally accepted principle. Polkadot, obviously, its architecture is sort of by definition a network architecture, but then when you point to and you look at that, the chart that we've all seen, the electric capital report that shows the developer activity, there is an effect that will begin, and I think we're beginning to see now, that will begin to ripple through from that activity. It takes time, but the exponential effect of that is about to be realized, I believe. It may, it may still be two years for it to fully you know, unfold, but you know, that many developers working in that many different projects in that many diverse applications is going to be impactful. I feel like there's even like a willful ignorance or a willful blindness. I listened to quite a few pilots and talking about, oh, you know, the SEC is suing 
and it called this a security, it called that a security, and then it's a podcast with you know some investors, and they talk about oh this shouldn't be because it's a, they have a bag. They don't mention Polkadot and and the path that it went through, even though it's it's out there. Why it was not mentioned? Why yeah. I believe it was not mentioned? I, I don't have yeah. um, the inside yeah, story, but right. but I, I I really feel like well they didn't they didn't participate. They're not in it, and now they're going to be willfully blind, and they'll have to pay attention, mm -hmm. uh, but they'll pay attention at a very different level. Something I'm hearing uh, a little bit about lately, parachains or projects building on the Polkadot technology, uh, they're pretty starved or hungry for funding right now. What are some projects we're really excited about building on Polkadot, not the core Polkadot, but building on Polkadot that you guys are looking at and, and thrilled about? Well, I'm working for one, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a uh, it is a decentralized storage solution, right? Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is that uh, as the kind of the MBA in the team, I did a lot of the market research, and, and you guys know most of these names. You know, guys like Filecoin, you know, Arweave, Storage A. There, there are a bunch of decentralized storage solutions out there, right? And 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 I'm not exaggerating. These these are essentially unusable mm. solutions. I they're not solutions, right? Mm. I mean, if if you got two NFTs and you want to upload, and you got afternoon to do so. And maybe download this like every six months, then Filecoin's a great choice, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even, and then rest of it, I'm not even a good choice. That they're, they're, the pricing is really odd. So uh, because our founder, uh, our CTO, comes from a very deep storage background and blockchain background, yeah. you know, we built a storage layer that we think is is architecturally better, and then what uh, incumbent <laughs> cloud guys are built on. Yeah. You know, we're talking about uh, AWS S3 product, uh, Google Cloud Storage, Microsoft Azure, right? So we think we have the first decentralized storage solution that is obviously better than other decentralized solutions, but I think it's better than, than AWS. Wow. So we're excited about that. Yeah, sure. And, and we have a bunch of projects that want to use Sumi, right? Because AWS is a huge cost, and plus it's centralized. Yeah. So you have a decentralized protocol with a centralized important component, kind of. And cheaper. Yeah. And yeah. cheaper. Yeah. Cheaper and than I, and Amazon. It, and I think there's not enough appreciation of how large these markets are. The storage market is absolutely enormous. I wish I had the data point to be able to point out how you do, but like, you know, yeah, I think, uh, for, I, I do remember this, we just did the overview. I, th I think it's growing at about 30% uh, CAGR, so you company annual growth rate for the next five years. And I think market's going to be close to, uh, I forget, like $400 billion in five years. Numbers, yeah. right. giant, it's giant simple, numbers. man. No one ever deletes anything from their phone, really. Right, yeah. So memory use keeps going up. Sure. And one thing about AI, AI, mm -hmm. which is a big deal, it, it's going to involve a lot of data storage, right? Unstructured data, actually. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, no one's leading anything. We need more storage space. It's, it's a huge market. And in the meantime, the incumbent players, you know, the Amazons of the world, they're in a trap. It's, it's, a, it's like a golden handcuff. Their margins are extremely high. They do really well. They do so well that they haven't, they, they haven't had the need to update their architecture in 20 years. Wow, yeah. So in a lot of sense, they're outdated. Yeah. And not because, I mean, we, we, you know, we have an awesome dev team, but because we're building it now, we're able to use technology and algorithms that weren't available 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's better architecture. Yeah. So I think. And, I it's think it's, and, it's, and, and you know, storage 
not particularly sexy, right? But that's where the economics are evolving. That's where, you know, and, and this is as a venture it's capitalist, a you have to, yeah, you have to look for big markets. Yeah. Depends yeah. Where you, right. you say right? it's sexy because the market's yeah, big, right? The market's yeah. big, it's sexy. Yeah. 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 You know, people are sexy. And the, yeah. and the incumbent guys are, yeah. despite, and they're scary names, right? Yeah. You hear sure. like Amazon, Microsoft, Google. And literally, there are no worse incumbents to compete with in human history. These businesses didn't even exist 10 years exactly. ago, Exactly, right? but they're yeah. disruptible. Right. Yeah. They're very disruptible. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, if you, if you like uh, follow the sector like I do, you, there's a lot of complaints about the pricing and the service from Amazon and so on. So we sure. think we're in the right place, right time. Yeah. And certainly, we think we should be the de facto source stand for all the Web3 companies out there, because we are decentralized. Fantastic. And our product works. Absolutely. I've seen if you're buying some NFT, it will be interesting. You will see some, if you check the code of some NFT, NFT project, it will be stored on, on a random like AWS or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, are you truly only that NFT, right? So right. it's a really a question why you're paying 10 ESA for that, right? So mm -hmm. eventually we need kind of decentralized storage to solve the problem of the NFT. So that is just one single example about how decentralized storage could be useful. And I totally agree that, you know, the solution right now is Firecoin, RVs, whatever storage is, they're good, but they do have a lot of problems. I think Sumi will be a potential very, very big player in the future. All right. For the record, we have we have two of our venture investors <laughs> <laughs> on this table. So yeah, just want to make sure. Yeah. 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 All right. you know, a project that, that a project that we really love. Like, what I say two. One, very briefly, our Teddy Dow charity project, a Lucky Friday. Yes, we love that go. one, let's right? Go. Yeah, yeah. Separate, just a charity NFT project. All the proceeds go to charity. We did it in partnership with Just Giving, which is the second largest online donation platform in the world. It's uh, live on Moonbeam now. You know, simple buy a teddy bear, choose which charity you donate to. And uh, we literally just launched it a few days ago and yep. hoping to get some, we have lined up some traditional media coverage, you know, with the design of doing something good, but also, um, you know, bringing visibility to Polkadot and to Moonbeam and to the ecosystem, right? And it shows sort of the simplicity. It's, it, it was built as a NounsDAO fork. Mm. And so it shows the simplicity of deploying on Moonbeam, you know, mm. EVM based applications. So um, we're excited about that one. But in, in terms of like depth of, uh, you know, engagement, we really love the Interlay, the Interlay team and the Interlay yes. project and what they're building there. They yeah. are, they are, you know, Alexia is a phenomenal team. They are, they are solving issues, not just as it relates to sort of Bitcoin and decentralized finance generally. They are addressing issues that are sort of core to Substrate and Polkadot itself that affect many different parachains. Um, I think they're great advocates for the ecosystem and you know the elegance of introducing Bitcoin into the Polkadot ecosystem I think is, is a very important primitive to the evolution of DeFi. Absolutely, I love Interlay too. Yeah. Uh, Mark, if I can bring it up, you guys just led a huge round on Mythical. Yeah. And then, so this is, I really believe, something transformational. Mm. And transformational for Polkadot, and then transformational for businesses to see that blockchain really makes sense. Um, it's gonna be a million new wallets as soon as they're set up. Even more than that, they have 1.1 million downloads already. There's a NFT wallet behind the game um, mm. that the, the user doesn't see right now. 
but they can interact with on, uh, on their marketplace, the market already. I'm a bit of a gaming skeptic, not because I don't think gaming is a hugely impactful area, but because I don't know myself enough about the industry to be able to identify winners and losers, but I'll say that that presentation, you know, just a few hours ago was That's phenomenal. Compelling. It was, yeah, it was spectacular. Like, this yeah. is a transformative project to the Polkadot ecosystem. He's obviously a very sophisticated and well-groomed uh, CEO, you know, for the enterprise, and it, and it felt like the kind of presentation that you see at a Goldman Sachs Investor yeah. Day for a technology conference, right? Sure. Like it was a it was a maturation moment, I think, right? And, um, and it starts with sure. gaming first. Yeah. And yeah. and gaming where blockchain makes something better. Yeah. Or makes an aspect better. Not where you have some token that you wanna shill and let's make a game so people buy the tokens. Yeah. Which is not, you know, long term successful. Yeah, no, I, I told John, the game is so good, I had to take it off my phone. <laughs> the, the drag racing one? Uh, Even the, Canadian. The, the NFL one. Oh, the NFL yeah, one. Yeah. It was, uh, I lost a weekend there and never got that back, but it was, it was so great. Yeah, they, yeah. they make good games. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, James, what are you watching? Yeah, I think there's a lot of projects we invest in both primary market and secondary market, right? So, we're so mm -hmm. especially for All-Star and their moving, yeah, I think these, yeah. these two projects are super, uh, super great. Uh, I, feel, I see a lot of potentials for, for these two projects. You know, these kind of people's passion about Soda's project is, is, is brilliant. So I can feel that how, how, how you know, All-Star is going to, be, going to be super popular in Japan. Mm -hmm. Not only because it's a good technology, good platform, because also Soda can, you know, make sure, you know, everyone knows All-Star in, in Japan and mm -hmm. use the platform. This is also very important. So I think All-Star is going to be, have a, a very, very bright future. And uh, uh, moving as well, you know, if you listen to Derek's pitch like yesterday, it would sure. be amazing. Sure. There'll be a lot of great application on top of moving mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, with not only DeFi, uh, NFT, GameFi, whatever. I mean, uh, we, we also see a lot of great projects built on top of that. And right now, if you check the, you know, the, 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 the secondary market or uh, price of moving, it's, it's, it's relatively low, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, for us, we've been more flexible about what we can do on, on, on the, on the capital side. So we've been, we've been doing both investment in the permanent market and investment on the secondary market. Yeah, but not financial advice for that. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking that, you know, maybe some of our viewers may take this, uh, these comments as like market signals or something like that. And there's this like, there's this tension between, you know, the retail investors and the VCs, right? This sort of toxic narrative of, ah, oh, the VCs are dumping on us and all this, right? And it, Which you, is fair, because that's normally yeah, how it is. Right. It's been true. <laughs> that, that has been true. Sure, true. okay. So well, it has been true. true. But we, we, for our second fund, we changed the, so for the first fund, it, you know, people invested euro and they had to get euro back. This one, we changed it. Um, that after we return the initial capital, then the investor can take in kind or not. Because I don't, for stuff that is still so early with so much upside, you know, and the fund has a limited life, I'd rather hold it. And I'll advise our LPs to hold it as well, but it'll be up to them. Because cool. maybe some won't want to deal with crypto. So, so we'll get out of that issue of getting dumped on. And the only reason that it is an issue because there's not inherent value creation yet, right? If there is a business creating value, then it's not dumping on somebody anyway, because anymore, because it's not no longer greater fool. Right. It becomes, here's um, uh, something that is creating value. I want to participate in it or I don't want to participate in it. But then somebody else will have some metric beyond, you know, somebody else to pay more for it. 
yeah. afterwards. And then I think that'll, we will see that. Um, and in many aspects, NFTs as well, especially, mm. you know, having these collections and cool, you want to flex and all of that, but having them, it, what is the, the right value uh, for something like that versus an NFT that actually confers some kind of usefulness, right? Besides having a, a PFP. Yeah, yeah. Right. Do I have access to my favorite music musician? You know, do I have, can I flex in a game because uh, I have this NFT? And they're not going to be worth like tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they'll have real meaningful value for people. Yeah, maybe we could speak directly to the retail investors. Is there some, or one piece of advice or a change in my mindset that you can, you can offer these traditional retail investors caught in that uh, buying too late and selling too late uh, cycle? Nope. Because um, I think most <laughs> of the people just in it to make some fast money. Okay, and so, and so, so the utility of crypto so far has been to gamble. Uh -huh. That's the yep, that's yep, real utility. Yep. Okay. okay, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to flip it yeah. at 5x, I'm going to buy something else, and that's going to go 100x. And we don't do that. Yeah. So we're not going to be in the stuff that's interesting for, for these types of uh, investors. We're going to be in stuff like Kilt, for example. Yeah. Very useful. Mm -hmm. And very unsexy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, they announced Deloitte, and they had th the next few days they had 30 incoming from large corporates. Say, so, oh, we're interested in using this, and and I think that's happening. I think something like Mythical being successful on Polkadot will drive many followers as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think one thing but no, I'd say, but no advice for retail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think understanding. Uh, putting in the work to understand the difference between what you think is an attractive project with a good idea and an attractive token. Those two very often do not correlate. Um, you can have very attractive projects with unattractive tokens. And frankly, vice versa is, is the case sometimes too. That's an area that I don't think gets much attention from almost anyone and really deserves it. Good stuff. You and what would you say? Only thing I, I share is the same thing that I, 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 I'm always trying to work on. Yeah, is I think the most difficult thing is, is uh, being self being self honest and self knowledge. And in my career, I think when you do that right, it helps with all your decision processes. Yeah, you know, nothing's wrong with trying to like you know be greedy and, and, and make money in quick trade, but you, you have to recognize what it is. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, let's not forget. I you know I'm, I'm not investing anymore. I'm building now. So yeah, maybe yeah. that's yeah. some indirect advice. As I said, when you find something that you've diligence, you're thoughtful about, you've made that analysis and you're convicted on it. I would say that's that, you know, in my experience where I've had success in the past is when you're really convicted about something and you really think that you know it better and you, you've, you've thoroughly analyzed, you understand the risks, that you lean onto that. You, you, you focus on the things where you really do have conviction. You may be involved in a lot of things, yeah. but you, you know, dedicate your attention to the things where you're really convicted and you know it better than anyone else. For a retail investor, the right way, like arguably the right way to access the stock market is to buy an ETF, low-cost ETF on the S&P. So for a true retail long-term investor, something similar to that in crypto, some kind of ETP, exchange-traded product, uh, is probably over the long-term the right way to go. And then all the normal things you do like scale in over time, so you're always DCAing, 
so you're never paying too much or too little, and and you're building, you're always building your um, your allocation and exposure to it. That's probably the right way, but it's definitely not as thrilling. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think for for an invest, retail investor, so it's really important to about doing all your own research, and this is this is important because if you really uh, trade a lot, you dump the token, pump the token a lot, then you will feel very kind of you probably will feel very smart, right? So when you buy the token and sell the token, and but eventually when you just calculate the returns in a much long-term way, right? So if you calculate return in like a, a full cycle or probably two full cycle, probably like a, even longer, like eight or 10 years, then you will realize probably finding the right asset and holding the right asset is probably the, the way to give you the highest return, right? right. So I bought Bitcoin back to 2014. So I do a lot of investment, like a, basically using Bitcoin to do a lot of investment. And after I calculate this kind of return, then you know, holding Bitcoin gave me actually the highest return, right? Uh-huh. So this is actually you know, one single example that I'm not saying my investment is bad, but you know, just calculate, uh, just, just like giving you guys an example that you mean finding the property for the retail investor, finding the right asset and holding it for, for at least a full cycle is probably the right, right choice for at least for most of the people. When you heard about a story on Twitter, I make how much money I trade me coins that's only one percent of them yeah right 99 percent people and losing money they are not trading anymore yeah. right that's not even true so <laughs> so if you only see that that one top one percent traders probably on traders that kind of tell you the story top right? one percent trade of a trader Right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. true. That's right. <laughs> tell you when they lose. So it's not real. So selection probably, bias, man. Yeah, selection bias. So it, it's probably the best way is to really own, uh, you know, holding the the valuable asset in the long term, right? So that yep. that's my advice. Yeah. Go buy, go buy well, Polkadot. That's not an advice either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, look, this is a super high value uh, podcast and conversation here. Yeah. What else you want to talk Finished? about? I don't know. One more it thing. Feels like yeah. uh, just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe okay. we should all get together again in the bull market and see if our, our uh, answers have changed. But thank you all so much for being part of here and um, you know providing the capital to this ecosystem that we need to grow. It's uh, extremely important. So thank thanks you so much. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.